Uh, Matthew chapter 8, and uh, we're going to be looking at verses 23 through 27 this morning. And when he got into a boat, the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Father, we ask that you would increase our faith this morning, that you would show us through the word, through the power of your spirit, God, through opening the curtains of our mind, God, that we might see what sort of man Jesus is. And Father, that you would put marvel and astonishment in our hearts over who Jesus is. God, that you would would enable us to trust and rely upon him, even through the storms. Father, please help us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, so it's going to help you a bunch, I think, if we recall the last couple of uh, passages of Scripture, okay? Uh, I I think that helps in getting the context of this. So I want to take you back to verse 16 in chapter 8. Okay, so in in chapter 8, verse 16 says, That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. Okay? Now, this doesn't always happen in the Gospels, by the way. This is, 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 it happened a few times where Jesus would go into a region and he would spend a little bit of time there and he would just heal everybody, okay? But from, from the scriptures say, it says that happened in this place, right? So that night, they brought to him people who were demon-possessed, people whose lives were just completely wrecked and destroyed from a supernatural standpoint, who were out of control and untamable. And Jesus, it says, transformed them with a word, okay? One word, all right? And then it says that many gathered who were ill, who were sick, and it says he healed them all. That's an important word there. It says, and he healed all who were sick, all right? So no matter the disease, no matter the deformity or the decline in health or paralysis or cancer or heart disease or leprosy or Parkinson's or tuberculosis or malaria or influenza, Jesus that night healed them all. Now, you can imagine what's going to happen next, right? This was a day before Facebook or, or Twitter or Instagram or cell phones, okay? So what you had, I believe, is a bunch of fast young men, right, who just beat it to every village in the surrounding area and told what Jesus had done. And as you can imagine, every sick person, every paralyzed person, every afflicted person began to gather. And so the next verse, or the uh, two verses later, in verse 18 says, Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, right? So people are, I mean, you can imagine, right? People are are swarming to get near the man who just did what what he did, right? And and now, you might think, well, why didn't he just stay there, right? Why didn't you just, we we talked about this a couple weeks ago, why didn't you just set up a big circus tent, you know, and 
healer of all, you know, and just people could come, right? Well, first of all, that's not his ministry. That's not the purpose he came. You know why Jesus came? Jesus came to die, didn't he? He came to live the perfect life, to teach us of the kingdom of God, and then to die a brutal death on the cross that you and I might have hope for resurrection. That, that's why Jesus came. And, and so as Jesus sees the crowds pressing in on him, he says to his disciples, all right, guys, it's time to go. You know, it's time to go. Everybody, get in the boats. We're going to go to the other side, right? And so that's what happened in, in verse 18. It says he gave orders to go to the other side. Now, again, as you can imagine, if, if, if there's a man in, in your village and he just healed everybody, like everybody who's paralyzed, everybody who's blind, everybody who's lame, Jesus healed them all. And then this guy says, all right, I'm leaving. I'm going to the other side. There were many there who said, hey, me too. Like, I want to go with you, right? I want to be with you, Jesus. I want to follow you. I just saw what you did. I'm in, right? Now, here's what Jesus knows about people, right? Some of us are more impulsive than others, okay? Uh, some of us make decisions without having really considered what we're saying, right? Some people do that a lot more than others. You may be the type of person that you've gone to, to Oklahoma City to Hobby Lobby before, you know, to buy some craft stuff. You came home with a new Suburban, you know? And, I mean, you may be one of those kind of people. You know, you're, you make decisions quickly. You, you, you. You're kind of all in, you know. Salesmen love you, by the way. They, they love, they want more of you, okay? Well, there were those kind of people who came to Jesus. And so Matthew gives us some examples. And, and he talks about one man who came to Jesus in verse 19. This, this is all last week. And then the man says, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Like, like, Jesus, I'm all in. I just saw what you did. I just saw who you are. And so I will follow you wherever you go. Right? Now, now Jesus knows that people tend to make decisions before they've thought out the, the ramifications of those. And he says, okay, but I want you to count the cost. And you remember Jesus' response to that man? He says, listen, I want you to realize that foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Do you remember that from last week? Basically, Jesus is saying, hey, you want to follow me? And that's great. But what you need to realize is, if you're all in, then you're all in. And, and, and there's not certainty. There's risk involved. There's a cost. There's a cost to following Jesus. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about that, that coming to salvation, Jesus pays all the costs, right? He paid all the costs by, by living the perfect life and then dying a death on our behalf. But when it comes to following Jesus in our life, hey, sometimes that's hard, right? Sometimes following Jesus leads us into difficult spots. And so Jesus told all the disciples that up front. Okay, so he, he tells them, hey, there's going to be a cost. You want to follow me? Great, but, but understand there, there's, there's a cost to following me. It's totally worth it, but there's a cost, all right? And then in verse 23, it says Jesus gets into the boat. He gets in the boat, and look at the next phrase. His disciples followed him, right? So there's a group of men that, that heard what he said, and they're like, yep, we're still in. We don't care what the cost is. We, we, don't, we don't care what, what the uncertainty or the risk. We are in. And so these guys got in the boat with Jesus, and they took off to the other side. Now, they get in the boat. They take off to the other side. And immediately, like I don't think it was very long, immediately, these guys find themselves in the greatest storm they have ever encountered in their life. Immediately they find themselves in what might be called like a, a hurricane, right? This is one of those destroy your boat, drown you in the middle of the sea kind of storm. Waves pouring in, wind capsizing you, the boat taking on water, about to sink. And you know what we find? We find that Jesus is asleep, okay? Now, 
I want you to pay really close attention to the response of the disciples, all right? Pay close attention to the response of the disciples, because I think you're going to see, I think it's going to be like looking in the mirror, okay? Uh, maybe, maybe you're like above that, but I, I'm certainly not. When I, when I saw their response, I thought, yep, I've done that very same thing, okay? So, so they follow Jesus, you know, he told them there's a cost, they follow him, they get in the boat, and immediately they find themselves in this terrific, this terrifying storm, and their immediate response is three things, okay? Panic. We are perishing, and Jesus doesn't care, okay? That's exactly the response of these guys. They say themselves in in verse 25, they they, they woke and they said, save us, Lord, we're perishing. The word means we're being destroyed. It's a word that means it's over, all is lost, hope is lost. This was a terrible idea. We are perishing. And then Mark adds, the the same story is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Mark 4.38, it adds the phrase, um, Mark remembered the phrase, that they said, Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing, okay? Don't you care? So, so strangely enough, it seems to me that that is actually many of our response whenever storms hit our life. So maybe you're trying to follow Jesus and you're, you're trying to, to live your life for Jesus and all of a sudden you find yourself wham in the cyclone of cancer or the typhoon of divorce or the tornado of financial collapse or the hurricane of the death of a loved one or the blizzard of slander or persecution or abuse or infertility or mental illness. And what do you do? What many people do, they hit the panic button, right? They hit the panic button. They, they, they lose their, their, their internal peace. They, they're tied up in knots. They're, they're, they're struggling on the inside with this sense of doom, right? They hit the panic button they believe that they're perishing uh, what, what perishing means is there's no hope how, how many of you jump from everything's fine to it's all hopeless in like 2.3 seconds like some people are faster at that I see some of you shaking your heads you know you're the you're the all is lost despair gloom person you know you should have been on that hee-haw show you know you know pain misery gloom despair like man you get there quick right like you're trucking along everything's fine all of a sudden bam something hits and you're like ah panic it's all over this is terrible there's no hope our life is ruined right so panic we're gonna perish and then again mark adds we don't think jesus cares right they look over at jesus and what is he doing he's sleeping right there is a storm going on that's about to wreck these guys lives they look over at jesus he's not engaged he doesn't seem to be concerned he's not doing anything he's not saying anything he's not responding anyway he is flat out asleep in the boat okay now, if some of you are looking at the Bible and you say, well, how could that be? How could there be a hurricane? And him be, you've not met some of the people I know, right? Actually, you've not met me, okay? Emma used to laugh. I'd come home for lunch and I'd lay down on the floor and the kids would like bounce on me. I'd just be out, you know, like 10-minute nap and I'm up and, you know, uh, bruises all over. I don't know where they came from, but yeah, it's absolutely possible, right? Especially when you're physically exhausted like Jesus just did. He's been swamped by crowds, right? For who knows how long, healing everybody, right? Ministering to everybody. And, and so he's asleep. So it seems that he doesn't care. And Jesus sees their response. They wake him up. He sees their response. And Jesus describes that kind of response. Panic, we're perishing. He doesn't care. Jesus responds by describing that as faithless fear, okay? We're gonna use that phrase, faithless fear. So look at verse 26. What does he say to him? He says, he says, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Okay, he does an interesting thing here that he does actually several times in the Bible. He connects little faith with fear, okay? So, so little faith produces a bad kind of fear, all right? 
Small faith produces the wrong kind of fear that leads us to panic and feel like we're perishing and despair and doubt that Jesus cares about us. Now, let's, let's talk just a little bit about the disciples. You may be confused about them. You're like, hey, these, this is like Matthew and Andrew and Peter, you know? What, what, do you, what does Jesus mean by saying they, they are of little faith, okay? Well, faith can be talked about in a couple different ways, okay? So there's one sense in which, which you either have faith or you don't, right? For 18 years of my life, I did not have faith. Um, I went to church. My mom and dad brought me to church. I, uh, I was in a youth group. I knew Sunday school answers. I knew Bible stories. But I did not love, treasure, trust, and rely upon Jesus. I did not. My life showed that. Like you could just look at my life and you could see the fruit that I did not believe. I, I, I didn't believe, okay? May of 1990, had an encounter with Jesus. I put my faith in him. I turned away from my sin. And from that day on, I am a person of faith, Okay? So there was a time when I did not have faith. When I was born again, I have faith, okay? But when you have faith, and many of you are in the same boat, right? You're, you're a believer. When you have faith, it's not that your faith always stays the same. What, what, what should happen is it should grow, right? So, so there should be a times in your life where you have smaller faith and times in your life where your faith is growing, times in your life where you have larger faith, bigger faith, right? So in other words, once you have faith, it's not like you either have it or you don't. It's also a growing faith. In other words, it's, it's at times mixed with unbelief, okay? So, so nobody at any, any time in their life has 100% faith. There, there's nobody who in their whole life, they're like, yep, once I became a Christian, I have 100% faith in God, and I've never doubted, and I've never had any unbelief in my life, okay? You know what that means? That means you've never sinned, and that means you're a liar, which means you did sin, all right, okay? Because the Bible says in verse John that if you say that you have not sinned, you're lying, all right? Now, every time we sin, Every time we are angry when we should not be angry, every time we are covetous or greedy or selfish or prideful, every time we sin, you can trace that back to some sort of unbelief in your life. All sin, every sin is a result of not trusting Jesus, not believing that Jesus is who he says he is and that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. It's a really good exercise, I think, for you to, to, to whenever, whenever you sin, for you to repent and quickly turn to Jesus, of course, but then to try to trace that sin back to, okay, what am I not trusting about Jesus that that happened? So in other words, when, when, you, when, you, when you blow up on somebody, when you have a temper, temper tantrum or lose your temper, you know what you ought to do? You ought to step back and say, okay, what, what am I not trusting Jesus about here? Because that, that's the root of sin is unbelief. And so anytime you have faith, it's also mixed with pockets of unbelief. And that's why Jesus describes these men who are men of faith as in this situation having little faith, small faith. I really like the guy in Mark 9. Uh, you may remember this guy, but he comes to Jesus. He's got a son who's terribly afflicted with uh, some, I can't remember what problem it is. I think it's a demon possession or some illness or something. Anyway, Jesus says, you know, do you believe I can do this? And, and the guy says in verse 24, he says, I believe, help my unbelief. Man, can you, can you identify with that? You know, there are times where you say, I believe, Lord, but then you also realize there's pockets of unbelief in you. There's pockets of, of where you're not trusting, not treasuring Jesus. And so he's like, I believe, help my unbelief. 
All right? And, and, and so, so these folks are, these guys, these guys who get in the boats with Jesus, they are men of faith, but their faith is small, which leads to their fear. Their fear leads to panic and feeling like they're perishing and doubting that Jesus cares for them. All right? Now, why does Jesus rebuke them? Okay? I don't know that there's anything wrong with having a small faith, right? So, somebody who's just been born again, we, we baptized some people in this last month. Hey, they... They probably have a small faith, right? And, and, and that's okay. We rejoice in that. They're brand new believers, and, and hopefully their faith is growing, right? But why does Jesus almost rebuke these guys when he says, why are you afraid? Oh, you have little faith. These guys ought to have a stronger faith. You know why? Because of what they just saw. What did they just witness just a few verses ago? That very day, right? They saw Jesus cast out demons with the word. They saw Jesus you know, be swamped with sick people from everywhere and heal them all. They saw the glory of Jesus. They saw a glimpse of his power and his majesty, right? And so their faith ought to be stronger. You know what, he, you know what Romans 10, 17 says? Romans 10, 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, right? And so, so the Bible describes that the way that our faith grows is by seeing who Jesus is, and, and by believing, believing in, in the majesty, the glory, the revelation of Jesus that we've received. But I, I wonder if you would identify with this and say, yes, that's true. Is it possible for you to sit through a teaching about Jesus and maybe actually not increase your faith at all? In fact, maybe you didn't even really listen. Like, like maybe you were thinking about something the entire time, something else, right? Like maybe that's right now, right? Like, like you, you may be like, yep, yeah, yeah, guilty, right? Like maybe I've been thinking about something the whole time, right? I've, I've been there. How many of you have had a quiet time in the morning where you opened up your Bible and, and you read your Bible and you closed it and, you know, you, you knew what you read about and everything, but actually your faith didn't grow? You, you know why that, that, that is? Because faith is more than just being in a service. Faith is more than just reading words about Jesus, hearing about Jesus. Faith is actually that step of trusting Jesus. I want to remind you, a couple weeks ago we looked at the faith of the centurion. I want to remind you the, the components of faith. Because this is really important. So, so faith is, is, first of all, embracing truths about Jesus with your mind. Right? So so. The Bible or a teacher or maybe even the Holy Spirit reveals things about Jesus to you, about his power and his love for you and his, his grace and his mercy, right? So faith grabs onto those things with our mind. But if that's all that happens, then you didn't have genuine faith. Because genuine faith also responds with your heart, right? It, it loves those truths, so when Jesus is revealed, faith grabs onto those things with, with, with your mind, and then it treasures them. It loves them with your heart. And then what's, what's the final step of faith? It's that act of the will, right? Where, where you actually trust Jesus. You actually depend on him, right? Now, when that happens, faith is strengthened, right? And so I, I think why Jesus rebukes these guys is he's like, man, you guys just saw the power of God. You just saw the majesty of God. And, and you should have grabbed onto that with your mind, your heart, and your will, and exercised that, and your faith should have grown. But you know what's true about most of us, many of us? Sometimes our faith doesn't grow until there's a storm. Have you ever noticed that? 
You know, there's times where if everything is good and we're just clipping along and everything's going great and we may still be in our Bibles and we may be hearing preaching and we may be in a small group where we're discussing the Word of God. But what I found is a lot of times if, if things are all good, we have a tendency not to be embracing who Jesus is and actually making steps to rely upon Him more and more. Now, I'll tell you what, I want to do that when things are good. You, you know, one of the ways I look at my life is, okay, God, I want to learn all my lessons in the good times so you don't have to bring the bad times. I, like, I, I've said that to him. Like, like, Lord, help me grow when things are good. Help me rely upon you radically when things are good so that I don't have to learn them in the storm. But what's true of many of us, most of us, even it's true of me, I know, is that sometimes, sometimes I'm a spectator until I actually get in the boat and then I go out and there's a storm and the boat's sinking and that, it's then that I've got to, I've got to grab on to, do I believe that Jesus is everything he says he is? Do I believe that Jesus is going to do everything he says he's going to do? do? Do I really trust him? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7 says something interesting about trials. It says in verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says a radical thing there. He says we ought to rejoice in our trials, in our storms. We ought to rejoice in those because those are occasions that we actually, our faith gets tested. It's like, do, do I believe Jesus? Do I trust Jesus? Do I rely upon Jesus? And many times until we're caught in the storm, until we feel that, that panic coming on and that we're perishing and is Jesus listening, sometimes we're just spectators until we're actually in the storm. So these guys are caught in the storm. They, 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 they think they're perishing. They begin to think, well, Jesus doesn't care about me. Mark, Mark 4, 38, you know, don't you know, don't, don't you care that we're perishing? And they begin to doubt Jesus' care over them. Let's not be too hard on these guys, because you've done that, haven't you? Huh? You, maybe you never said it, you know? It's interesting to me that only one of the gospel writers actually records that. The other two just say, Lord, we're perishing. You can kind of hear it in their voice, but Mark's like, no, come on, guys. What did we really say? We said, don't you care that we're perishing? Man, I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of when things are collapsing, just kind of being frustrated and wondering, God, don't, don't you care? How come you're not doing anything? You know, one of the things I think helps is that what the Bible very clearly does is removes the element of surprise from storms. Um, it's really consistent with that. Have you ever known, noticed that things are much scarier when they surprise you? Have you noticed that? Um, I, I, I really like playing practical jokes, and uh, I've... I've I've not in a long time because it went badly, scared my wife. But I, I pick on other people now. Um, uh, I've told you the story about how I, I jumped out of the bushes at her when she was nine months pregnant with one of our kids. We were living over on Wheat Ridge, and, and she, like, came at me, like, fists, like, like, like you know. It, well, I thought she would flee, you know, with an intruder, but I should have known better. My wife doesn't flee. She fights, you know. So I about got my neck broke, you know, over that deal. But you, you, know, what I, you know what I didn't do? I didn't call her up and say, hey, honey, I know you're on your way home. I just want you to know I'm in the front bushes. I'm going to jump out at you, you know. I didn't do that. Why? Because it's a lot scarier when it comes by surprise, isn't it? 
Okay? So are storms. But you, you know what the Bible has done for y'all? Let, let me read some verses. John 16, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. 2 Timothy 3, 12. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. James 1, 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when, when you meet various trials. 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. You see what the Bible just did? It just took that whole element of surprise away, didn't it? Like, like it's really clear. Jesus was clear with these guys, wasn't he? I mean, before they got on the boat, he's like, okay, y'all know. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, son of man has nowhere to lay his head. You need to count the cost, right? You know that if you're all in, then you're all in. The reality are the storms of life are not a sign that Jesus has lost control. Did you hear that? The storms of life, they're not a sign Jesus has lost control. They are a way to test our confidence in Jesus' control. That's why the storms come. When they come, it, it, it doesn't mean, Jesus, you don't care, and you're not watching after us, and you're unengaged, and you're sleeping, and we're about to die, and it's all lost. It doesn't mean that. The, the storms are the means by which our faith is tested. What kind of faith do you have? Do you have the kind of faith that you have to be prospering for you to believe that Jesus is powerful? Do you have the kind of faith that you have to be healthy to believe that Jesus is a healer? Or you have to be comfortable to believe that Jesus is a comforter? Or you have to be safe and secure to believe that Jesus is a protector? Or do you have the kind of faith in which even during a storm, you're able to say with all confidence, Jesus, you are everything I need. You're all I need. You are enough. Even when he seems distant, even when he, when he seems to be unengaged with our storm, you're able to say, Jesus, I followed you on this boat, and I don't know how you're going to work this out. I don't, know, I don't know what you're going to lead me into or out of. I don't know how it's going to end. But what I know is, you know best. I trust you. You see, the little faith sails on the sea only when it's smooth and the sun is shining and the wind is favorable. But mature faith is able to sail through the storm with Jesus. One of the ways I think about faith is, is this. So, so little faith sees a small Jesus and a big storm. Like, like that, that's one of the characteristics of little faith is, is when the storm comes, it just, it just completely takes over. Like, and all we can see is the peril and, and, and the terribleness and, and the why and that Jesus is not responding. That's all we can see is the storm. Mature faith sees a big Jesus, which actually changes the size of the storm. You ever notice that? How, how the bigger your view of Jesus is, the more it transforms how you see the storm in your life. So, so the disciples panicked, and they jumped to the conclusion that they were perishing. Okay? How, how many of you go from everything's fine to 
all hope is lost in like three seconds. Anybody in here like that? Like, like not, yeah, there are, there are people like that, you know, who, who they're, it's like all fine and then it's, you know, it's all over. Like, like it, it's done, you know, it's completely falling apart. Um, I've got some people like that in, in my life as well. Okay, the, the disciples, they did that again because their faith was small. You know what happens as, as your faith grows? Uh, big faith constantly expects God to do great things. You know what that could be called? Hope. You know why faith and hope work together? Because the more you trust Jesus, the more you see his bigness, the more you see his glory, the more you see his power and his love and his fantastic nature, the more you expect good things from his hand. Like, like, like you're able to walk through, through life with this high degree of hope that God is going to do awesome things. A, a person with strong faith relentlessly expects good things from God. Man, those people are gems. They, they, they're gems. It, it, it's great to be around somebody who, who just sees the bigness of Jesus to the degree that no matter what storm hits their life, they just have this confident expectation that, look, God's in control and Jesus is doing good things, and I don't know how he's going to handle this. And man, it hurts. It hurts right now. This storm is brutal on him, on me. But I know that good things are ahead. All is not lost because Jesus lives. Man, faith should fuel our hope. Have you ever noticed all the hopeless situations in the Bible? Bible's actually stacked with a whole bunch of them. Let, let me give you a few of my favorites. Uh, I, I love the one where uh, Elisha and his servant are staying in a little cabin, and, and the army has surrounded them. They don't realize it. And the, the servant goes out in the morning to get firewood or whatever, and he looks, and he just falls apart, you know? And he comes in, Master, we're dead. It's over. We're surrounded. There's no way out, you know? And, and Elisha, I kind of picture him stretching and getting his coffee. He's like, no, 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 it's fine, you know? I mean, it's fine. God told us to go here. It's fine. And, and, and he prays. Remember, he prays, and he, and he asks that God would open the servant's eyes to see the spiritual realities around him. Servant goes out again. He looks, and the entire hillside is not only covered with the enemy, right, but it's, it's more covered with blazing warriors of light. And he's like, okay, this doesn't look so bad now, right? I, I love Lazarus, the story of Lazarus. The guy is in the grave four days. Jesus shows up, you know, grieving sister. He grabs Martha and says, Martha, hey, I'm the resurrection and the life. And Martha still doesn't get it. She's like, Lord, I know someday it's going to be a resurrection someday. You know, and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Today, like I, today, Martha, I am resurrection and life. And, and Jesus raises Lazarus from the tomb. David and Goliath. Nobody expects David to, to win. Um, oh, my favorite one. This is a, a, a not a well-known one. So you may not even have heard this story, but it's in, uh, it's in the Old Testament. It's about the siege of Samaria. So the, the siege of Samaria is, is besieged, right? There's an army. I think it was the Assyrians that surrounded it. And they surrounded it for an extended period of time until all the food was gone out of the city. And, and it's, it's actually a horrific story because people are eating, what does it say? They're eating uh, donkey's heads, dove's dung, and some of them have even result, kind of resorted to eating their children. So it's like this horrific, you know, picture of sin and destruction and hopelessness. And the prophet comes into the city and Elijah says, here's the word of the Lord. Tomorrow at this day, you'll be able to buy a loaf of bread for a dime. 
And everybody's like, are you crazy? He's like, yeah, tomorrow. And if you remember what happens, God comes in and, and, and he destroys the Assyrian army, takes them clear. They, they're gone, right? And there's four lepers, if I remember right, that, that leave the city and they're just thinking, hey, we're going to die here of starvation any day and we'll probably die out there. The enemy will probably kill us, but I'd rather be killed than die of starvation, so let's go. And they walk out there, there's no enemy anymore. And not only is there no enemy, but there's food source of uh, unimaginable, you know, bounty from this army that's left there, and the city's saved. And why are all those stories in the Bible? Well, they're, they're all stories of hopeless situations where God says, hey, things aren't hopeless. Trust me. Trust me. So, verse 26, they wake Jesus up. Yeah, now, by the way, I, I think that was fine. I, I think they should have woken him up. I, I've, I've heard a lot of people ask me, you know, should, was that, a, was that a, a step of unbelief to wake? No. Hey, when you're in a storm, call out to Jesus. Absolutely. So the, the waking him up was not wrong. It was the, the, the peril and, the, and the, we're perishing and, and we're panicking and we're, we're doubting that you care for us. Okay, that was what was a sign of their little faith. So they wake Jesus up. And it says that Jesus, look at verse 26. This is so fantastic. I want you to know this Jesus. It says, he says, why are you afraid? Oh, you have little faith. Then he arose and he rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm, right? Jesus scolds the hurricane, right? He, he scolds it. He says, quiet, silence, enough. And it says when he did, it says there was a great calm. The word great in Greek is our word mega, and the word calm means a, uh, let me read you to this. I, I wrote it right out of my dictionary. An unruffled surface on a body of water. So it goes from a hurricane to whew, at Jesus' word. All right. If that does not impress you about Jesus, I don't know. I'm out. I'm sorry. can't do anything for you. Uh, I really can't. I don't know. I don't know. Because that, that is glorious. Right? Now, now, just a little bit ago, we, we read about how Jesus uh, was swamped by, by sick people, and it says he healed them all. Now, that's pretty fantastic, okay? To heal Alzheimer's and cancer and heart. Well, that, that's incredible. But many of you are going to say, well, yeah, but we've got doctors, you know, who can do some pretty awesome stuff. We do, right? God's enabled them to. Man, how many of you are impressed with the fact that they take those little remote control deals, put them in your vein, in your thigh, drive them up to your heart, fix a little something, and drive them back down? I mean, is that not incredible? Like, that blows me away, right? So you're like, well, you know, doctors can do something amazing. Okay, that's true. But let me, let me ask you this. Can anybody at all alter the weather? Can you, can you alter the weather? Can, can, with all of our technology, with all of our, our money, with all of our industry, with all of our science, with all of our internet, can, can we at all stop a hurricane? Can we slow it down? Can we alter it? Can we, do, we cannot do anything. We can't even predict them very well, right? You would think that in Oklahoma, we would be the best at predicting, you know, weather. Like, like we ought to be the top. The meteorologists here ought to be the best, right? But even now, this winter, it'll happen again, right? They'll think a huge snowstorm's coming in, right? And Channel 9 will cancel all your favorite TV shows for the entire night because of this blizzard that's coming in, right? And then all night long, what will you have to watch? You'll have to watch, let's go to Pam down at Northwest Expressway, you know? And we go to Pam, and Pam's like, 
If you guys will notice, look real close. I got a magnifying glass. Do you see? It's a little bit wet, right? You know, it's coming. It's coming, right? We can sit, we still we can't even predict it. All right? Are y'all following me? We can't do anything to change it. Jesus wakes up, scolds the hurricane, and it is silent. Do you know that Jesus? That, that's I mean, do you do you see do you see what happens here? Look at the response. Look at the response of these guys. Matthew says in verse 27, and the men marveled. They marveled. That's, that's to be blown away. Okay? Mark, Mark says they were filled with great fear. And Luke, Luke mentions both those things. It says they were filled with fear and they marveled. Here's a cool thing. These disciples go from fear to fear. But, but they go from the wrong kind of fear to the good kind of fear. They, they go from a faithless fear to a faith-filled fear. You see, a faithless fear produces panic and doubt and sin, makes you question Jesus, makes you not want to be around Him. A faith-filled fear produces reverence, a gravity, and a desire. i got to know who this guy is. All three gospel writers say this at the end. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? The only question that really matters in your life is that one. How, how do you answer that question? What sort of man is this? You see, what you think about Jesus, by, by the way, if you're thinking Christianity is about the right rules and the right commands and the right to-do list, hey, y'all, you might as well be a Muslim, okay? Or a Hindu or a Buddhist, because that's, that's what all those religions are about. Christianity is fundamentally different. Christianity is about this one thing. Who is Jesus? What sort of man is this? What sort of man is this that looks into the eye of the hurricane Tells it to be silent, and it does. And now, what are you going to do with that man? What are you going to do with him? Are you, are you going to ignore that? Are you, are you going to say, well, that's nice, but I'm really a lot more interested in these other things. I don't have time for that right now. i got all this other stuff on my plate. What, what are you going to do with the Bible revealing to you that that's who Jesus is? You see, this, this is where faith comes in, right? Many of you... Maybe it's your first time to hear that that's who Jesus is. And so maybe the step on your plate is for you to turn away from your sin. Stop trying to save yourself. Stop trying to do good works to get into heaven. And, and embrace that Jesus is everything you need. And follow him. Others of you today, you're already a follower of Jesus. But you, you know what happens when we, when we grab onto the word of God like this? When, when we see who Jesus is? Every time we see him in the word, every time we see him by, by the power of the Holy Spirit, our faith should grow. You see, these guys knew, did these guys know who Jesus was? Yeah. They, they'd been ministering with him, right? Right? They just saw him heal a bunch of people. They just saw him cast out demons with the word. But I'm telling you, on that boat, after the sea is stilled, they have a new understanding of who Jesus is, right? And every time God reveals to you Jesus, that's when you 
You grab onto him with your mind. You grab onto him with your heart. Jesus, that's who you are. I believe it, and I love you, and I trust you. And then it's not faith unless you do this, unless you take that step of actually relying upon him, trusting him, obeying him, following him, making him the thing in your life. That's what faith is. So I want to ask you the same question that these guys are asking. What sort of man is this? What sort of man is Jesus? Who do you believe him to be? And are you responding in faith to him? Let me pray for you. Father, I ask God that you would just show us, God, today. Show us the glory of Jesus. Father, in in the midst of all kinds of storms, God, I know there were people that gathered this morning in all three services who are going through struggle and difficulty and cancer and health problems and, and financial problems and relationship problems, grieving. Father, I I pray that you would show them your son. God, show them the power and the glory and the majesty of Jesus. God, show them the beauty of the cross, that, that Jesus came and lived the life we couldn't live, that he died a death on our behalf. God, show us your son. God, help us to embrace all that Jesus is and all that he said he would do. God, help us to have faith, grow our faith, strengthen our faith. Father, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand?